Welcome to My Runner's Mind, where we run with gratitude towards a life of happiness and gratefulness. I'm your host, Stina Turgeon, and I believe that as runners, we're uniquely positioned to choose gratitude over negativity. Running itself is so badass, and each run offers multiple opportunities to turn a potentially negative thought or feeling into a positive one. Tune in as I'll share behind the scenes of what goes into my 12-week program, My Runner's Mind, which is mindset and spiritual coaching for women runners who know that they're ready to shift away from the shoulds and ought tos in their running routine and replace them with want and desire to live a happier and more balanced life. Are you ready? Let's go! Hey runner friend, welcome to episode 111. Today is part one of two. It's an interview with nutrition coach Kelly Largay. We are talking nourishing your body and mind for optimal running. I'm super excited to bring Kelly on. It's not the first time she's on the podcast. Kelly's also kind of our resident nutrition coach inside my free Facebook community, Running Aligned Body and Mind. She hosts a Friday or nutrition Friday piece every Friday. Some of the things we talk about in the interview is some common misconceptions amongst runners when it comes to fueling. And we talk about one of the most prevalent struggles of all, which is body image for runners, especially. We talk about how to cultivate self-compassion and develop a positive relationship with our body. And Kelly gives some give some really good tips. We talk about how to strike a balance between nourishing your body and and enjoying, you know, those treats or indulgences that maybe you've shied away for from for so long. And then lastly, we talk about how to develop a sustainable nutritional or a nutrition plan and what you should consider. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. All the info to get a hold of Kelly will be in the show notes. So enjoy it. All right. Hi, everybody. I am so excited for today's episode because I'm joined today with our by Kelly Largay, who is a nutrition coach. She helps women regain their strength, health, and energy and power through personal nutrition coaching. Did I get it right, Kelly? You got it right. That was good. <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> and another reason I really enjoy bringing Kelly on here today is that she's also kind of our resident nutritionist inside my free Facebook community running Aligned Body and Mind. And she comes on every Friday and shares really valuable information for all of you who's in there in the group. So I'm always excited to chat with Kelly. She's got lots of great insight. One of the reasons, Kelly, that I wanted to bring you here today is that in the last couple of months, I've been sharing my own journey through maybe overcoming a little more of putting focus on my own journey on body image and accepting myself. It seems like, you know, it's an like an onion where you peel the layers back. I have I've called my episodes like loving what is and finding harmony with the scale. And so I thought kind of having talked to the listeners about all the minds and components of it, I really kind of wanted to bring you into it also and make it a an episode that everybody can really all the runners can really kind of draw lots of great info from. And so that's why we're calling this episode Nourishing Your Body and Mind for Optimal. And so just to kind of start us off, let's talk about maybe what are some common misconceptions about nutrition 
for runners and how can we help debunk those? Let's start there. So I find, first of all, thank you for the introduction. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. You know, so I think misconceptions with nutrition for runners is, you know, one of the most common mistakes that I see runners make is just under fueling. And I think oftentimes what happens is not all the time, but oftentimes we start running because we want to lose weight. Many people do. And I say we, because that's why I started running over a decade ago is I, I wanted to lose weight. And I thought, oh, okay, running is easy. All you need is a pair of sneakers and you just do it. So I figured, you know, it was a great way to lose weight and it can be, but I didn't realize at the same time that, you know, back then uh, over a decade ago, that as I was becoming more active, I was also going to become more hungry and that my body was going to require more fuel. So I kind of got into this, you know, just kind of this cycle of trying to train really hard and trying to get faster and improve my running, but I was never really focusing on my nutrition other than to say, okay, I'm not losing weight. I need to eat less. I'm not losing weight. I need to eat less. And I see a lot of new runners in particular do this. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, just recognizing that we as humans, like we require more calories than I think we've been led to believe by diet culture. I feel like sometimes, oftentimes we just have it ingrained into us that we need to be eating less and we need to be dieting and we need to weigh less. And that really comes across in a lot of, you know, different areas in our lives, especially as we become more active. It's like, it just doesn't jive when you start burning more calories, but then you feel like you need to be eating less calories. It doesn't leave you feeling good. Right. I am so glad that you're bringing that up because first off that you're saying that a lot of us actually come into running for the sake of wanting to lose weight. I can certainly relate to exercising for those reasons, right? And it's kind of a, not a motivating reason for doing anything because losing weight in the sense at least that that, that culture has programmed us just is a deficit in a way, right? Because it's always taking away something, it seems like at least- Unless you have been, you have somebody who can help you pre-program or program your mind differently, right? And I can also relate to what you're saying about under-fueling because I remember in the first couple of half marathons I ran, I was very proud to run on half a banana, right? 13.1 miles being out there two plus hours in the heat on half a banana, right? Yeah, it pains me to think of that, but I used to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so pervasive, I think. And that's one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you on here today also so pervasive, this really unhealthy mindset around what our body needs for fuel. And also, I think our reasons for wanting to lose weight in the first place, right? And so, so I guess just backing it up to what's the typical client who comes into you, if you had to describe her? Yeah, typical client would be someone who has a weight loss goal, and has tried everything in the book, but cannot lose weight. And what I often find it's either one of two situations, it could potentially be that they are just under eating. I mean, a lot of women that I speak to have been dieting for so many years that they've just kind of died. I call it dieting yourself into a corner where you can't eat more than 1200 calories a day without gaining weight. And, you know, that's kind of a situation where we really need to work on metabolic health before we can actually diet. 
the other situation that sometimes happens is that women and men too feel like they're under eating Mm -hmm. and sometimes they are, but what's really happening is that they're under eating some of the time and this will then result in a binge. So a good example of this might be like Monday through Friday, they're eating 1200 calories a day and, you know, they're getting all the side effects of dieting because they're not eating a lot of food. And then the weekend rolls around and, you know, they're eating 3000 to 4000 calories a day. So they feel like they're doing really good during the week and then they just can't sustain it through the weekend because they're restricting so much. So these people tend to feel like they are under eating when in reality, they're actually not under eating. They're not in a calorie deficit just because of the binge sessions that they're having because they can't sustain the deficit they've put themselves in on certain days. So really it's all about kind of just becoming aware in regards to how you're fueling your body and then just developing more consistent habits. So you're not swinging from one, then one end of the spectrum to the other in to regards the other. to like under eating. Yeah. Is there such a thing I wondered, and I actually thought about you a few weeks back, because as I've also shared in previous podcast episodes, I, for the first time in many, many years, started really tracking kind of my calories just to kind of get an idea for how much am I eating and what am I choosing for calories? Because they kind of, when you track them, they kind of go hand in hand. And then a thought was at one point, I was almost having a little bit of, if I say diet fatigue, it was more in the sense of not being upset about or feeling annoyed about having to track it, but it was just almost a lack of feeling satiated as far as as flavors go, does that make sense? Almost, you know, I was certainly eating, I would say very healthy, the choices were like, uh, good grain sources, good protein sources, and good veggie sources and fruit sources. But it was almost like I was just feeling I was lacking some savory food or <laughs> is that is that is that something that brings up? I mean, I mean, my first common. question would be, are you eating, are you a repeat food eater? And as I eat the same over and over again? Yeah. Does that, is that what that means? Probably use a lot of the same stables for sure. Yes. You know, if I, if I cook quinoa and I have it in the fridge so I can, yeah. I can use it throughout the week. Right. So, I mean, it could be potentially, potentially you could be under eating and just needing more calories in general, or just maybe more variety in regards right. to food choices and flavors. And oftentimes with my clients, I will challenge them. I'll say, okay, this week, I want you to try two new recipes and they can be hit or miss. Like sometimes it's a recipe that yes, they're going to put on repeat over and over and over again, because they loved it so much. Or they're like, nope, I didn't like that one. I need to try something different. But sometimes it can be really helpful just to kind of broaden your horizons with trying different foods and different flavors and even different spices and things like that. And I like that you're bringing that up. And I'm it's a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's so important that we get to a point that we create this capacity. And that's kind of what I suspect that you're teaching your clients also that capacity within themselves to, you know, want to explore, have the, you know, not being in a scarcity, a lack mindset, which I think most people probably come to you in that, in that energy that they're so afraid because for so long they've restricted themselves. Right. And then you challenge them you know, with your guidance, obviously. Yeah. And that's one thing we see a lot of with, you know, just speaking to people and also new clients coming in is restriction, not only in regards to like calories, but entire food groups sometimes where 
you know, the, the only time I ever recommend restricting a food group is if you have an allergy or an intolerance. Right. But we tend to view foods as good and bad. And it's like the bad foods we tend to restrict. And then oftentimes that just results in you wanting them more. So it's kind of like this snowball effect. It just makes it worse and worse the more you restrict. Mm -hmm. So one that's one thing that we really work with our clients closely on is learning how to include all foods in moderation and actually enjoying the foods that you eat, like eating foods that you look forward to. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I certainly remember myself in the past thinking that, you know, there's all this talk about carbs being bad. And I know that you put a lot of posts out there educating people that listen, not all carbs are bad, especially not for runners. <laughs> yeah. They're running, right? <laughs> but my approach was I'll cut out carbs, at least the, you know, the the simple carbs, the white carbs, which of course, if you can do that systematically across your whole diet, you're going to eliminate a slew of potential things that you won't eat anymore. So of course, you're going to see a weight loss. But is it is it driven from a healthy mindset, of course, right? So I like that how you bring that up that you're challenging them. But so what are some for the listeners, what are some ways that they can runners can identify their their own nutritional needs for their body so that they can kind of support optimal performance if they're not working one on one with a nutrition coach? So I think the first thing that I would recommend for your listeners is just to try to identify signs of underfueling. Because like I said, this is happening so often is that people are just not eating enough food because we have been, you know, a lot of us grew up in eras where dieting and restriction was just considered normal. So some signs of underfueling that you can kind of be looking out for are things like fatigue, poor recovery from your runs, lack of progress in your training, chronic injuries, intense cravings, moodiness and irritability, constantly thinking about food or like having constant cravings for women, abnormal menstrual cycles. These are just some of the symptoms that you can experience from chronic underfueling. And these symptoms are oftentimes exacerbated when you start running or when you increase your training intensity. And you don't also increase your calorie intake. Right, right. So yeah, I can see how that can challenge a lot of people, because it probably like you're saying it goes so against, you know, well, but I want to lose weight still. So now you're telling me I need to eat more. But so of course, that's, that's when they can then sign up with you and, and come get guidance and help from, from your programs, right? If they're, if they're not comfortable doing it on their own. Okay, very cool. So let's see, let's talk about what are some, I mean, I'm assuming what's actually what I wanted to find is how prevalent is body image obsession amongst your clients? Does that make sense? I mean, would you say that's a predominant reason that people come in to see you? Yeah. 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 The majority of, of our clients, they come in with a weight loss goal and also body composition goals. And so explain those two differently. How do you describe those two or distinguish those two body composition goal and and weight loss goal? So weight loss would be weight loss on the scale. Mm -hmm. And then body composition is actually completely different. And oftentimes people get the two intermingled because they feel like weight loss is naturally going to improve body composition. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, yes, it will. But when I talk about body composition changes, I'm talking about losing body fat and potentially gaining muscle. So a lot of us say, okay, I want to look lean. I want to be toned. And really what we mean by that is we want to have muscle mass and we want it to show. 
right? And those course, my soul is like you're showing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes weight loss and body composition changes don't necessarily go hand in hand. And I'm thinking of, I have a handful of clients right now who they have actually had to gain weight in order to see the body composition changes that they wanted to see. And I'll use myself as an example, just because it's easy to to do that. When I started running, I did nothing but run and I ran and I ran and I ran and I was putting in so many miles every single week and I was under eating severely. And I got to my goal weight and I looked at myself and I said, Oh my God, I look like a stick. Like I thought I was going to look lean and toned and muscular. And I was so thin that I was just like, I don't even look healthy. Like I don't even look good. So I actually had to you know, over the course of the past eight or 10 years or so, I've gained about 10 pounds. And to me, and my thoughts matter to me, I don't really care that much what anyone else thinks of me. But to me, I look better, my body composition looks better at a higher body weight. And I think the trap that a lot of us fall into, and that I have certainly done in the past is it's like, I just need to keep losing weight to reach my body composition goals. And sometimes those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because oftentimes I think body composition goals for a lot of people mean looking toned and toned basically means having muscle, right? Looking healthy and looking healthy. You know, if, if you are gaining muscle, which is really, really beneficial for so many just health reasons in general, mm-hmm. if you are gaining muscle mass, you may see an increase on the scale unless you're simultaneously losing body fat, which it can be done, but it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it seems intuitively that the body composition goal is the better for lack of a better word, but, but the more, you know, the one that in the long term is going to serve us better than just a number on a scale, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of people say, okay, I want to weigh X amount. And I'm like, okay, we can get you there. Like, it, it's realistic, we can do that. But I also want to get you there and have you feeling good, like just the way that you feel and also feeling confident in the way that you look. And sometimes people are surprised when they reach their weight loss goal. They're like, you know what, I didn't feel and I don't look the way that I thought I would. I'm curious, just from a mindset perspective here, because that's one of the things that we, I kind of talk a lot about, and I really tune into also when I listen to other coaches and whatnot, there is this assumption that when we get there, it's going to be better than here, right? Mm -hmm. And anything we do, that's usually kind of what drives us into something, right? That we want to make changes. But reality is that's, and I don't know how you see that in your clients, that's usually not the case, actually, right? And I'm also, I'm always trying to talk to, to my clients about, well, really, if we can't get to where we're happy, where we are now, then we're not going to get happy once we get there, right? Because we bring that whole mindset that's, you know, we bring the mindset that we have today with us into wherever we land in the future, right? And that's not going to support us. And we might never actually land in the future because we're still in our current mindset, which has gotten us to where we are today. Does that make sense? Is that something? Yeah. Talk to me about how you incorporate that into your coaching with your clients. Yeah. And this is why it's so important, the mindset work that you do with your clients. And we do it with our clients at Ace Nutrition as well. And it's like one of the most basic things that we can be doing is just being kind to ourselves. Mm. I mean, think about like you step on the scale and you see a number that's higher than you anticipated or than you wanted. Where does your mind immediately go? 
right? We think like, oh my God, I'm disgusting. I'm so fat. I need to restrict food today. I'm such a whale. Like, I mean, some of the things that people tell me they're, they're saying about themselves. And I used to do this to myself as well. It's just really, really sad. And I'm like, okay, would you speak to your daughter like that or your sister or your mother? Like we're oftentimes talking to ourselves in ways that we would never dream of speaking to someone we loved. And really what we try to instill in our clients. And, and I'm, I think what you do a lot with your clients too, is, you know, try to speak kindly to yourself where you're at now, because I have seen it happen so many times where a client will reach their weight loss goal. And if they're not also doing the mindset work, it's still not enough. You know, they'll get to their goal and they'll say, okay, just five more pounds and I'll be right. happy. Yeah. And then we'll that was there. me. That was me for so many years, yeah. Kelly. It was awful. It's this merry-go-round you never get off of. Yeah. Oof. And it's like you just keep chasing that happiness, but you never find it. And and honestly, it sounds so cliche, but it's really not found in a number on the scale. Right. No, it's yeah, I'm so glad that you're bringing that up too. And it was interesting when you just started talking about it, it just brought back my own memories of how, and that's why I avoided the scale for so many years because it was such a fixture for me, but it brought up panic, right? Panic is the feeling that came to mind for me if the needle was up, right? Or it was plateaued when I was hoping that it would be less, right? And not only did it bring up, so you can imagine you're, you find yourself in a panic mode, right? Your your nervous system is just going into kind of overdrive and the, you know, the sympathetic nervous system. And then just that subsequent feeling of dread that would just accompany that. And then my whole day, everything that day was kind of viewed through the lens of, yeah. you know, I got to again, restrict like you were saying, or come up with ways. And honestly, and I don't know if tell me if this resonates with what you hear your clients are saying, but not just my self worth, but what I felt how people would listen to me, Mm -hmm. I thought would matter. I mean, was tied in with a number of on the scale. How is that even possible? I wonder today, but honestly, it's, that was me up till yeah, I turned 40. Really common. It's like this little box and we put all of our value into the number that that little box shows us. And it determines whether we have a good day or a bad day or how confident we are. And man, if you can get yourself to a place and it does take a lot, a lot of mindset work, a lot of repetition, if you can get yourself to a place where you step on that scale and no matter what it tells you, you still think you're a badass like that's an amazing place to be and you know I have a coffee mug that literally says badass and it's just a way of me reminding myself like you know what I'm awesome no matter what like I mean I have days where I I step on the scale and I'm like whoa wasn't expecting that but I'm finally now at a place where I'm just like you know the scale fluctuates for so many different reasons sometimes I know why my weight is up sometimes I don't and I'm just like you know what that number is not telling me anything about myself and oftentimes we're the ones who are telling ourselves things, you know, we're telling ourselves, Oh my gosh, I did so bad yesterday. I'm such a failure. And it's It's so funny you bring that up because when I think about the conversations that I would have with other female friends, in honesty, how many of our conversations, how many of our conversation topics revolve around that? How uninteresting, but it drives so, so much of our conversation. It does. And the thing is, I mean, your body weight, it's like the least interesting thing about you. I mean, when I think about my friends and and people that I really love, the least thing that I care about is how much they weigh. Yeah. But for some, and I'm going to lump myself into this for some of us, because it used to be me, that is our identity. It's like, okay. And sometimes it's the difference. Like I have one client,
client I've been working with who if she her cutoff is like 150. So if she's 150 pounds, she feels terrible about herself. If she's 149.9, she feels great. And I'm like, but what is the difference really between that 0.1 pounds? Like, how does that make you a different person? And isn't that so interesting? Because it's all the thoughts we tell ourselves, right? It's exactly like she's telling herself that, you know, if I'm 150 or higher, I'm a failure. But if I'm under 150, I've done really, really well. And man, it's just not a way to remain consistent with any type of nutrition plan or exercise plan. Like it is just why I think a lot of, you know, fitness, fitness plans and nutrition plans are really lacking the mindset piece because I mean, anyone can lose weight. It's really not that difficult to lose weight. It's sustaining it. That is the difficult part. And a lot of that comes from working on your mindset. mindset No, and I think it's so important, the work that you do. And I just want to also put out there and just really emphasize how important that work is that when we think about kind of the frame of mind we're in, when we're in panic mode, when all we can obsess about is our own weight, when all we can talk about 80% of the time is weight related issues or be verbally abusive to ourselves in, in what we've chosen to eat, what's missing here then is all the awesomeness that we could otherwise bring to the world, right? If you were still stuck in your worry about your weight and where you were at on the scale today, you wouldn't be out there and be a badass coach because you would not have the, you would not have the mental energy and time to create. And I think that's a piece that's that only has come to me in the last few years since I started doing this mindset work that I really value and see how much time was wasted Mm -hmm. on obsessing over weight and body image, and Mm -hmm. how much that actually took away from all other things. And I don't want people to sit back and feel guilty, because that's the last thing I want people to feel around this. But I just want them to realize that, that it consumes so much energy truly, from what we're able to otherwise focus on and put out into the world of valuable content or just to our loved ones around us. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can really take up a lot of mental real estate. And I mean, you know, think about your clients, people are busy, you know, you don't want to be stressing about what the scale told you this morning or feeling bad about what the scale said. There's a lot of other things that we need to be focusing on (laughs) way more important than that. Yeah. And I'm sure you also find in your clients that it it can feel like a huge hurdle to over, not just a hurdle to overcome, but like a just leaning into trusting the new process rather than, you know, it's easier to kind of stay stuck in, in the way that things have been for so long, because that's what we know. And so I'm putting it out. I want to verbalize it to anybody who's listening here to, they might think, yeah, it's all well and good for you guys. Evidently you've made the switch and you feel love towards yourself or self-compassion, but I just can't because I'm different or I can't trust myself or whatnot. And I just want to put it out there to the listener that yes, it can seem like this huge ocean of, you know, self-doubt and fear that you have to overcome. That's a great point. I think that oftentimes when people hear coaches talk about about this, they're like, oh, well, it happened for you, but it can't for me. But it, I mean, and you mentioned like it being a switch it was not a switch for me. I can't speak for you, but I mean, I literally spent a decade like talking myself through, okay. Cause I had gotten to a point at one point where I was just way too thin and 
to regain, I ended up regaining, it was like 10 to 15 pounds. And that was so freaking hard. And every day I was just like, I can't do this. Nope. Scale's going up. I can't do it. It was like freak out moment every day. I literally daily had to talk myself down and say, no, this is what needs to happen for you to get healthy. I mean, no matter. And I just, if- I just want to interject there for the listeners that what Kelly is describing, she's doing right there is self-coaching. And so this is such an important component that you know, that's where a coach comes in and can really teach you these concepts, which is awesome because that's, that's reality, right? That we, we need to establish these strategies or abilities to be able to do that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And I did work with coaches. I mean, it wasn't just me talking myself through this. Honestly, if I hadn't had coaches, I would have thrown in the towel and been like, nope, that's the weight that I need to be. Even though I don't look healthy, even though I don't feel healthy, that's the body weight I need to be. And that's at you know, the, this, the fear of speaking, right. Like I'm just going to stay stuck in what I am right now because I'm too afraid of, of embracing any change. Right. And so. yeah. And I mean, I will tell you the body weight that I'm at now, if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be maintaining this body weight, I would have been mortified. I would have been like, no way. That's so heavy. I can't do it. But now I'm like, I feel so much better. Like, and if you've never seen Kelly in real life, she looks totally badass and, and very, very fit and healthy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, when you're finished listening to this episode, you'll have to go stalk her on, on social media. <laughs> so this is a great segue, I think, into talking about how to cultivate self-compassion. And this is kind of where our fields overlap. And and before we do that, actually, I just want to put out there again for the listeners, Kelly and I are both talking about how self-coaching and working with coaches is is so valuable. And we found that to be incredibly valuable. And, And I just also want to offer up what also happens in a coaching relationship or in a coaching container is that you actually start all of a sudden surrounding yourself with other people that are kind of doing the same as yourself. And that, wouldn't you say, I mean, when you have community like that, is transformational, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about how to, you mentioned kindness, but how to cultivate self-compassion and develop a positive relationship with their bodies. What are some strategies or approaches you can kind of share with, with the listeners? All right, guys, so we might be ending on a little bit of an abrupt note here for the interview with Kelly Largay, but I wanted to keep the podcast episode to about 30 minutes, which is why I decided to put it into two episodes instead of just one. So I hope you'll tune back in next week for episode two of this two-part episode of this two-part interview. See you next week. Hi, runner friend. Let me ask you, are you ready to ditch the negative self-talk to get off the struggle bus? If so, join the private podcast designed for runners who want to reignite their passion for running, discover how to reframe thoughts, find joy in running, and achieve remarkable results. It's time to transform your journey. Let's dive in and unlock the power within to overcome self-doubt and embrace a new mindset. Sign up using the link in the show notes. So if running is our practice ground and we can turn every experience into fuel, then we can transfer it to the rest of our life and positively impact our whole world. Just one run at a time.